is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. Well, today is our next episode of Diagnosis Glaucoma in our podcasts. And we're without Dr. Mona Kaleem today, but I'm delighted to be here with Dr. Pradeep Ramalu, who's Division Director of the Glaucoma Center of Excellence at the Wilmer Eye Institute. And he's an international leader in glaucoma, and he's focused our attention on how glaucoma affects what people's lives are like. How about those important things that affect everything we do, whether it's reading or driving or walking around? Dr. Ramalu's published 140 papers on various subjects, and so you couldn't have a better expert to talk about this problem. Pradeep, what are the problems that glaucoma causes people to have regarding their functionality? And I know you've studied a bunch of them. What do you think are the major personal activities that bother people? Thank you, Dr. Quigley. It's a pleasure to be here. And obviously, I may be speaking to a lot of people who already know what these problems are as they're experiencing them in their daily life. But for those of you who may have a family member who have it or who still have early disease and don't know what the downstream consequences are, there's quite a few of them. One thing that comes up quite a bit is driving. You don't see things either in in your periphery of your vision and don't realize there are threats to you uh, coming up. Walking safely and being able to have your normal mobility without falling or being fearful of falling is important. And even some things in your central vision can be affected as well, such as reading, or recognizing details or faces. I think another thing that isn't mentioned as often is just the ability to find things, where you really need to search a scene to find things that are important. That's something that's really very affected as well. So how are glaucoma patients affected in terms of their driving? I mean, do you think there's a lot of glaucoma patients out there who are driving who shouldn't be? Or are there glaucoma patients who quit driving early because somebody's told them they shouldn't be out there? What are the aspects of that that you've studied? Uh, I think you make a great point that there's really both of those things. So there's some people who realize the difficulties they have with driving and either stop altogether or cut back in a way that's intelligent, where they don't drive as much or they don't drive as often, and they restrict their driving to areas where they are able to be safe, such as areas that are very close to their home, that they're very familiar with, and only drive in those conditions during the daytime and when the weather is good. There's certainly people who, unfortunately, also continue to drive, even though they might be unsafe. So as glaucoma doesn't affect your central vision, you might be able to go in and actually pass a test which only involves being able to read the letters on the chart, but some of your side vision is going to be affected and your contrast is going to be down. And so you're going to have trouble seeing things that might threaten you, such as a car coming from the side or a pedestrian coming off the sidewalk. And some very nice work done in uh, Alabama and other places have shown that people who have severe glaucoma and continue to drive have a higher rate of accidents per mile that they drive. Well, there are different rules, though, in different states. And some of these rules, I find, as an ophthalmologist, are kind of puzzling to me as to how to fill out the forms. In our state, in Maryland, for example, the form is actually ambiguous as to what test am I supposed to do in order to indicate that this person is or is not safe. So are there ways that we can actually help somebody to prove that they're safe by doing like a driving test or something? Well, I think you should definitely, first of all, go by your own personal opinions. If you feel like you're uh, dangerous and you're having trouble seeing things and you feel like you're a danger on the road, then by all means start to transition your life to the type of life that doesn't require you to drive as much or as often or at all. And this is something which you may want to think a few years ahead on. And so if you know you have severe glaucoma, 
start transitioning your life to a way that you don't have to drive. You also want to be cognizant of the fact that there's many other things that make it hard to drive as well. So as we all get older, we don't respond as quickly to things, and we become more dangerous, even independent of our vision or other factors. Certainly, if you have other conditions that might affect your cognition or your other sensory abilities or make it hard for you to drive because of physical limitations, then you may want to consider stopping driving as well. But you're right that in some cases, you may not be sure whether you're safe to drive or not, in which case you might want to seek some outside advice. I think it's certainly reasonable to talk to your family, who uh, certainly has your best interests at heart and is unlikely to be trying to restrict you just out of spite or some other reason. And if you really want an independent piece of information, there are certified driving evaluators who, for a fee, you can go to and have your driving evaluated, and they can tell you whether they think you're safe or not. You do need to be careful, though, because sometimes these individuals are required by law to report to you if you're not safe, and so you may want to know what the regulations are in your state beforehand, although you shouldn't be afraid to know what the truth is and get a test if you're afraid that you're not safe. I think a good example of how it can be not just vision that's a problem was a family member of ours who drove her car into a drugstore. She, hitting the accelerator instead of the brake, drove through the wall, backed up into the parking space there, got out, went inside, got her drugs at the pharmacy. And when she came out, she said, you know, there was this very nice policeman out there. And he asked me if I was okay. And I said, well, of course I'm okay. And we said, well, Anya, didn't, didn't he take your license or, or information? She says, no, I just drove away, drove home. Now, after that episode, our family had to discuss with this person that they really had no longer the capability overall of being sure that all of the things that you need to do to be safe driving are there. The person's vision was 2020. The problem was physical capability. The problem was awareness. The problem was muscle strength and, and other things. When the family says you shouldn't drive, they're aware that they're the ones who are going to be driving you. And for this wonderful member of our family, we did that for another two or three years after that, after she gave up her car. So I think it's probably more that the family's reluctant to take the keys away because they're the ones that need to drive you to the grocery store and drive you to the gym and to the bingo game and listen to your family. So, Pradeep, the next area is walking safely and falling, and you actually have national grant money and stuff to study. How do we keep people from falling, and how does that relate to their vision? I think we don't think of this as often, because a lot of times the impact of glaucoma is what we experience on an everyday or every moment basis. And we don't think that, well, this disease could be a problem because of a really bad event that can happen to me. But I think we all know people who've had a fall, and that really is what really precipitated either death or a substantial decline in their overall well-being and health, to the point where they were really not the same person as they were before they fell. And glaucoma does increase this risk. I think that people who are older in general fall quite often, so the overall rate in people who are in their 70s and 80s is about 1 in 3, and it goes even higher in people who have glaucoma. Some people tend to avoid that, but usually the adaptation mechanism for avoiding it is not a good one, so a lot of people avoid it by just becoming more sedentary and not putting themselves in circumstances where they might fall just by walking less. But of course, that's not what we want for all of you. We want you to be active. We want you to be healthy. And to prevent yourself from falling by not walking is not really a proper solution. 
when my mom was 91, she had two bad knees. And she said, yeah, but sweetie, if I just sit there in the chair, the knees will freeze up on me. She says, my mama told me, use it or lose it. That's 100% correct. So, but it's very important that if you have glaucoma, especially more severe glaucoma, that you're aware of this. And simply your being aware of this factor can actually be very helpful in preventing you from falling. So think about it. Think about areas where you might be at higher risk, both within your home and outside the home. And I think that simply having it in your mind that you're at higher risk of it can prevent you from having a fall. Well, you and your group have, have actually gone into people's homes and logged where there are risks. In fact, we have occupational therapists who will do this through our low vision center, and people should consider availing themselves of that. But in your research, where did you find the most likely persons were falling? Was it outside the house or inside the house? And when it was inside the house, where was it? Yeah, you would think that people would all fall outside the house where it's unfamiliar and maybe a little bit uncontrolled. But actually, we found the exact opposite, that most people were actually falling inside their home. A lot of it might be in areas that you might expect where people spend a lot of their time, such as the living area or the kitchen. But in fact, a lot of it was in areas where they may not spend a lot of time, such as the bathroom or the stairs. So areas that are risky for other reasons, either because there's a change in elevation or because the floor is slick or because they have to get up and down from a bed or going to the bathroom. And so you have to be aware of these kind of high-risk areas, especially the stairs and the bathroom, and be extra careful and make sure you have good lighting when you go through those areas. So turn on the lights, bring a flashlight next to your bed if you need to, but make sure you can see what you're doing. We just had to put a second railing on the upstairs stairs of a family member who has Parkinson's disease. And this person has twice fallen trying to go up and down the stairs. And this way, both hands can be on a railing to go up and down. And a spotlight was put there to make the light much brighter, even though this is a person with no visual problem whatsoever. But in this case, it's a physical problem that can lead to severe damage. He had fallen and broken his arm. Well, I think having an occupational therapist can often be quite helpful because sometimes we think, well, I can't have two handrails because I need to carry my laundry upstairs. Well, maybe you need to rearrange your home so that the laundry machine is on the same floor as where you use it, or you move your drawers downstairs so you don't have to carry the laundry up and down. And so sometimes there are very practical and pragmatic changes that you can make in your home that help you avoid falls, but these are not things that we think of very often. So it is very helpful to have a occupational therapist or to read published guidelines on this from the CDC and other organizations that tell you how to make your home safer. Now, there's other things that the near vision stuff that you mentioned in terms of reading is very important. The only thing about television I hear from patients is that they can't read that moving type that's going along across the bottom. And if you were to log how big that is in terms of 2020 vision, on my home television, that stuff going by is about 2015. And it's also moving. So I kind of tell people that you, if you really want to see that stuff, you have to move closer or buy one of those mega TV sets. But reading's another story. And you've done a bunch of work on do glaucoma patients have difficulty with reading? And, and if so, why is that? And what can we do about it? So I think that those of us who are still working or those of us who really enjoy reading as a pastime may have a different requirement for reading than some others who may enjoy other hobbies or other tasks. So I think when we hear of complaints about reading in glaucoma patients, it's often with people who have to do a lot of reading. 
who read for long periods of time. And in fact, that's where we found that glaucoma really affected reading. So most of our glaucoma patients can read very simple things. And in fact, if you look at how they read on the chart, they can read those few letters just fine. But when you ask them to read a book for a prolonged period of time, it really becomes a lot more difficult. So I think that they have to look at a word many more times to figure out what that word means. It's a little bit harder to shift to the next line of text because they need to find that next line of text. And really, every individual act of reading that's involved in reading is a little bit harder. And so you get more fatigued. And so a lot of people will tell us, oh, well, I just get tired and I can't do it for as long. And I think you need to be kind to yourself. You need to take breaks. You need to take a little bit of time. Or you need to consider alternate types of reading, maybe listening to audiobooks and other things as well. One of the things that's been studied is to watch the eye blinking of people who are reading books or who are using a computer. And one of the most common things that I hear from patients is, well, I start using my computer and the first thing you know, my eyes are so painful and dry and gritty that I just can't look at it. It looks blurry. And the reason that that occurs, one of the main reasons, is that we stop blinking. Once we get locked in on the book or locked in on the computer, the eyes dry out. And as Dr. Romelu just said, taking a break every 20 minutes is a great idea. You can get an app. My daughter has one on her computer. And every 20 to 25 minutes, the screen goes black and a little kitty cat dances around the screen and says, it's time for you to get up and walk around for a minute and then I'll turn your screen back on. My iWatch does the same thing. It says it's time to stand up because I'll find that I've been sitting there at the computer for an hour and a half, literally without moving. When I stand up, I'm so stiff I can hardly move. Those of you who are my age will understand what I'm talking about. So we really need to take more breaks, and I think that would help tremendously with enjoying reading and enjoying computer use. Well, as we mentioned, Terry, the patients with glaucoma also are less physically active, and so they tend to lead a more sedentary lifestyle. So I think this is one area where you can kill two birds with one stone. You can still get your reading in. You can make it a more facile and uh, enjoyable experience, and maybe you can get a little bit more physical activity as well. Another thing that I hear from patients is that they say people think I'm ignoring them or snubbing them because I walk right by them without saying hello, but I just didn't recognize their face. Now, of course, with the masks on the last year and a half, it's been a totally uh, additional problem to, to see who that is because you can only see their eyes. But when we can see whole faces, what is it that about the glaucoma or about earlier moderate glaucoma damage, Dr. Romelu, that would lead somebody to have trouble recognizing the face of another person? Yeah, we, we understand that glaucoma is a disease of contrast, and a lot of us don't understand exactly what contrast is. You know, we often think of vision as how small something has to be for you to be able to see it. But contrast is not how small it has to be, it's how much it has to stand out for you to see it. In other words, you can still, you might in glaucoma, you might be able to see small things, but you can't see subtle things, such as the smudge on the wall, or the shadow, or the contour of somebody's face. And so it can be a lot harder to recognize people, uh, even when you look at them. And you might not see somebody who kind of walks by you coming from the side as well. The ability to, inability to recognize people and see them often results in people changing their behaviors. You know, there's often a stigma that people are afraid to go to church or go to a community function because they're afraid they're going to be perceived as rude. And that can be very difficult. You know, one option is obviously to just be upfront with people and to tell them that you have a condition and that they shouldn't expect the same things from you that they might have before. Although some people may not want to actually disclose all that information because it's none of anybody else's business. And of course, that's your right as well. 
And in those cases, sometimes it can be helpful to have somebody with you to maybe help the process along, to kind of give you a nudge or whisper in your ear who you're talking to or let you know that somebody who you might have a conversation with is coming by. My wife knows that. When we go socially out, she'll elbow me and say, yeah, that's Susie Jones. You remember her? Because she knows I'm not going to remember who that was. (laughs) Well, this was a wonderful episode talking about some real-life problems. Episode 30, Dr. Romelu and I, the next one, are going to discuss some strategies to improve how you can get along better with issues like driving and reading uh, when you have glaucoma. Check that out on diagnosisglaucoma.com as well as all the other podcasts that Dr. Mona Kaleem and other faculty from Wilmer have done. Our book, Glaucoma, What Every Patient Should Know, is now selling like hotcakes on Amazon and is available to read free on the Wilmer Institute website. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops. (laughs) 